Hi, my name's Natalia, and I'm reading from the Bible. It's the Bible reading is one Corinthians chapter twelve, from verse one to twenty-seven. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you're you that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same. God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of Spirit is given to each person for the common good. One to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another by faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by by one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, and one and the same Spirit is active in all these. Distributing to each person as he wills for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the of the parts of the body though one, one, many are one body so so also is christ for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free and we were all given one spirit to drink indeed the body is not one part but many if the foot should say because i am not a hand i don't belong to the body it is not for the reason any less of part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for the reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body was an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that are weaker and indispensable. And the part, and those parts of the body that were considered less honourable. We clothe these greater honour and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect. Which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to less honourable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have some concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and and individual members of it. Thanks, Natalia. Good morning, Church at Nine. My name is Greg, as you just heard, um, wonderful to be here with you, uh, one, of, one of the ministers here at OEC. Uh, keep your Bibles open at that passage, uh, all other passages will come up on the screen. Um, and in your handouts, there's an outline of the talk, if you want to take notes, if you want to see where we're going, uh, that's a helpful thing to do too. One of the things that I think shouts loud and clear that there's a God is the complex unity of the human body. Uh, Our bodies, as broken and ageing as, uh, well, at least mine is, um, are still a profound wonder. They're the glory of God's creation. 
In my ministry on campus, one of the things I do is run the uh, uni ministry up here at CSU Orange. There's physio and med and pharmacy and dentistry students, and I'm constantly hearing the wonders of the human body from them, sometimes with more detail than I'd like. Um, But it's a truth that David also sung about in the psalm. So Psalm 139, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I'll praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. I can't fathom how anyone looking at the wonder of our human bodies can say it's all just a fluke, a fluke of time plus, a slime plus time, just meaningless, purposeless chance brought about me and you. I remember as a teenager uh, looking at my hands and tossing a cricket ball from one hand to the other, just considering the wonder just of that part of our bodies, the wisdom and knowledge of God who made me and who made you. Uh, The human body is jaw-droppingly astounding. I just found some whacked-out facts about your body uh, on the net. So here are some. Laid end-to-end, one adult's blood vessels would go around the Earth's equator four times. Uh, Your mouth produces one litre of saliva each day. Now, that's a bathtub every year. Now, that's a bathtub. That's a bath I don't want. Um, An average person has 67 different species of bacteria in their belly button. Yeah, you just want to go and have a bath now, don't you? Um, Scientists estimate that the nose can recognise a trillion different scents. Your brain has about 100 billion neurons in it, about as many stars as in the Milky Way. Now, those facts are astounding, and you search the web, you'll find even more weird and wonderful facts about the human body. But I think what's just as astounding is what our bodies can do as different parts work together in coordinated unity. So dance. Now, I won't demonstrate this for you, okay? But I think dance is amazing, the beauty and the wonder of what... Each part working together can do as it expresses and communicates. Uh, Surgery, a steady hand, a sharp mind, all working together to extract that unwanted cancer or other things that surgeons extract Um, and mending bones and ligaments and all the things that surgeons do. And, of course, this last couple of weeks, sport, any sport, Sport, uh, the agility, the speed, the teamwork, the coordination, uh, like the Matildas, you know, pushing higher and longer and faster and working together. The human body is profound. It is wonderful. A majestic creation of a powerful and creative God. And it's the human body that Paul uses as the picture of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. To illustrate and help us understand how the church is meant to work and grow and serve the purposes of God in the world that he's made. Won't you join me in prayer as we reflect on this part of God's word and our part in it, in God's work in this world. Father God, we thank you for this part of your word in 1 Corinthians 12. As we reflect on it, help us to understand what you're doing in the church and our part in it. And motivate us and change us today by your word and by your spirit. Amen. The church is a vital part of God's work in this world. And over the last four weeks, uh, in our series on time, we've been reminded that ever since creation, God's been working his purposes out. 
And between the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ, we live in a time of urgency where, where God is at work through his word, by his spirit, in his people and through his people to bring time to its conclusion, to bring his people to an eternal and physical reality he made us for and saved us for. And the church is key in that work in this time. The church is where the wisdom of God is displayed and where the word of God is taught and where people who were once enemies become brothers and sisters working side by side to the glory of God. Now, there's something I need to make crystal clear before we go any further, and that is the church isn't the building, okay? Whenever the New Testament talks about the church, it's not talking about a building. It's talking about the people of God, saved by him, gathered to him through the person and work of Christ. And that's why we call this building the ministry center, not the church, because the church is us. But, we, but have a look at the, how the church is described. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it comes up on the screen. For just as the body has one, is, sorry, is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is, and I haven't finished the sentence. How would you finish that sentence if you were Paul? What word would you use? For just as the body is one and has many parts, so also is, I would use the word church, wouldn't you? That's not the word that Paul uses. How, how does Paul finish the sentence? Let me read it again. For just as the body is one and has many parts, so also is Christ. Now, Paul's not saying here that Jesus has a physical body like us with many parts. He does, but that's not what he's saying. He's speaking about the church. The rest of the chapter makes that clear. What does Paul mean when he identifies the church with Christ? Paul's making it crystal clear the importance of the church as the body of Christ. The church represents Jesus here on earth. The church is identified with Christ and Christ with the church. And so when Paul was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, uh, where Paul was planning on going there to send people in the church to prison, Jesus said this to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The church, one body, many parts, all playing different roles, but working together is identified with Jesus. This is, the true, this is true of the universal church, the church all over the world, all through time. We're unified in our belief in Christ and through the gift of the Spirit. And it's also true of the local expression of the church. Church at nine, OEC. As a gathering of God's people, we are deeply and eternally unified because we've been baptised by one spirit into one body, Paul says in Corinthians. All gifted with the spirit and gifted by the spirit in different ways so we can serve God together. And Paul wants to make this monumental point because the way the Corinthian church was treating each other and the different gifts of the spirit that God had given them did not reflect this truth about who they were. They weren't treating one another as the body of Christ and they needed to see how wrong that was. And it's the truth we need to be reminded of as we think about serving 2024. The church is one body, unified in all being given the same spirit, together making up the body of Christ. But this one body has many parts. And it's the unity of the church that Paul hits on in verse 13. For all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. 
when we came to trust in Jesus, what happened to us wasn't just something that happened to us as individuals, although, of course, that's true. We were forgiven individually. We passed from death to life individually. We became a child of God where we were once an enemy. But this baptism, this salvation, while it has changed us as individuals, it's done so much more. It's brought us into an eternal and everlasting union with others who are also saved. We are saved into a family of brothers and sisters. We belong to one another. We have a profound unity that is the body of Christ. It's grounded in being given the same spirit and being gifted by that same spirit, the spirit that Jesus promised that he would give to quench our thirst for life. You can't be a Christian on your own because you were saved to be the body of Christ together. Saved and unified by the Spirit and changed together. And so there's people who used to hate each other who are now unified. Jews and Greeks. People who were once never, you know, never associating together. Separated by a deep divide of culture and standing. The slave and the free equally becoming brothers and sisters and singing together. One body, many parts. They sing together, they break bread together, they they serve together, they're unified because in Jesus they're all sinners who are saved to be the body of Christ. As God's people who are church at nine, you might be male, female, old, young, rich, poor, employer, employee, sport nut, craft crazy, no matter what your cultural background, whatever, no matter who you are, if you trust in Jesus, we all belong to one another, we are unified and together. We are united together forever in Christ. I belong to you. You belong to me. That's the wonder of our salvation in Jesus. And this unity is lived out in diversity, one body, many parts. Verse 14, indeed the body is not one part but many. And that's how God designed it. Unity in difference complementing each other, contributing in different ways, serving with different gifts and different backgrounds and strengths and weaknesses, together working for the, uh, to be the body of Christ. And this picture of the church that Paul paints is a picture of the church that's not being expressed in Corinth. Because instead of unity, there's two connected but opposite problems, the problems of envy and arrogance. Now, the first problem in the Corinthian church that Paul highlights is this gift, is that, that of gift envy. You see it in verse 15. Uh, that if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any lesser part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And so he's painting a ridiculous picture. A hand that refuses to do what hands do, refuses to pick things up and throw things and touch things and type and and hold and goes on strike. Why? Because I really want to be an ear. I mean, how restrictive would that be for the body? How debilitating, how frustrating. Many of us know what happens when a part of our body just doesn't work anymore. I had a mountain bike accident a couple of years ago and I lost the end of my pointy finger. Man, did I realise how much I used the end of my pointy finger took for granted all these things that I used it for in cooking and typing and touching. It was so hard to do so many things that I took for granted before. Then Paul goes to town on this metaphor in verse 17. 
He basically says, how dumb would a body be if it was just an eye? How would it hear? How dumb would a body be if it was just an ear? How would it smell? Paul's making the point that what is happening in the Corinthian church with gift envy is just ridiculous. So wrong that the body is no longer functioning as a body anymore. What exactly is happening in the Corinthian church that makes Paul say this? Well, as you read through chapter 13 and into chapter 14, you see that the whole church wanted to speak wanted to use just one gift, and that is speaking in tongues in particular. That was the gift to have in that church. And so for the Corinthians, a hand wanting to be an eye is a bit like someone who's been gifted in administration, saying, no, I long to speak in tongues. I want to speak in tongues, and so I'm just going to seek to do that, and I won't use my gifts of administration, and the church just grinds to a halt. This longing for different gifts hampers them from serving the church with the gifts God has given them. So that's Corinth. What about us? How might we fall into this trap? Well, it might be really wanting to serve with gifts of music or serving up front in some way, and that, that longing to serve in that particular way takes our eyes off serving him with the gifts that God has given us and in the ways that the church really needs, which might be hospitality or welcoming or speaking the truth in love or administration or helping out at OEC Youth on a Friday night. Uh, the second problem, that's the first problem, the problem of gift envy. The second problem is related, it's that of gift arrogance. Have a look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Again, Paul paints a similar but also a ridiculous picture of the body. The eye is saying to the hand, I don't need you. What, what you do is unimportant, irrelevant. You can't see things. You can't warn the body of dangers. Without me, you are useless. See how important I am. What the eye fails to see is it can't do the job of the hand. It can't do the job of the foot or even the end of your pointy finger. The eye fails to recognise the bigger picture. The eye can't work on its own without the hand or the toe. It needs to recognise it's connected to the whole and work together with the whole to function as it was created to. But once again, how is this a picture of what's going on in the Corinthian church? In the Corinthians context, it would be a person speaking in tongues, ignoring the person at the door and speaking as if their ministry is insignificant and unimportant for the growth of the church. The arrogance of those with the gifts that people long for is stopping the body from operating as a body. Instead of loving each other and caring for each other they, and reaching out to the lost, welcoming in the newcomer as those uh, coming to find out more about Jesus, people with tongues are prancing around as if to say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And as you read through the rest of 1 Corinthians 13, 14, you see that's exactly what's going on in the church. No one listens in the church. They just draw attention to themselves and their gifts and others feel like they don't have it, are irrelevant and stop serving. That was them. What about us? In our context, it could be ignoring people who pack up, who welcome, who serve morning tea, thinking and speaking as if those ministries are irrelevant, insignificant in the church. And so given these two problems of gift envy and gift arrogance, there's an important question for us to ask. Do we appreciate the importance of the, and significance of welcoming in church and 
morning tea or administration and finance, those things that happen in the background or cleaning up after church. It's right to recognise the importance and priority of word ministry. In fact, as you read through chapter 13, 14, at the end of chapter 12, you see that, as Paul speaks about the gifts of prophecy and teaching in particular. But we need to listen to the warning in chapter 12. The gifts behind the scenes, the gifts that are done in the background that provide the ability for gospel ministry to flourish are absolutely important and vital. They're not just jobs to be done, but gifts that God has given people to build up the body for the common good. And so the welcomer ensures that new people are connected in, not just because it's a job to be done, but as the church works together to welcome people in, they're playing a vital role in helping God's kingdom to grow as we welcome and grow disciples of Jesus. People cleaning up after one ministry, what are they doing? They are investing in the next ministry that's going to use the ministry centre. Ensuring that, the, and that and there's nothing distracting them from making disciples in the next ministry that comes in. We need one another to serve in so many different ways and we need to recognise the importance of each and every part. As together, as a whole, we make disciples of Jesus, taking God's message with God's help to Orange and beyond. Now, twice in this passage, God tells uh, us, that he's gifted the church just as he determined, it says. So look at verse 11. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. Verse 18, but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. So God has gifted each and every church with the gifts that they need to serve as the body of Christ. He's gifted you with the gifts that you have just as he determined so that you could serve the body for the common good. So we as a church would have different people serving in so many wonderful and different ways with different gifts and passions and abilities. Now, God didn't gift me with music. It's obvious. If I picked up an instrument, you'd see it. And it might look like... You know, I, I look at guys playing the drums, people playing the drums and the bass, and I say, I wish I could do that. But I don't need to do that. They do a, such a great job. God's given us different passions and our personalities and gifts. And, he's, and God's done that deliberately. And this should keep us from gift envy and gift arrogance because our gifts aren't about us. They're given by God and each gift is the gift of the same spirit and it unifies us as God's people. So arrogance and envy are out of place. Instead, we thank God for the gifts that he's given us and thank God for the gifts that he's given others and we serve together and we grow together. Then in verses 22 to 25, Paul makes clear that those parts of the body that are weak are actually indispensable. Those parts that some might consider less honourable, he says, are actually worthy of greater honour. Now, you can see how this works in the human body, but how does it work in the church? Well, his point is that the way that we treat the weaker parts of the body is actually a test of whether we get what he's saying in this chapter or not. The way we treat those parts that we wouldn't normally honour is vitally important. So for those who don't have the honourable gifts, the, pe the gifts that people see, that people naturally honour, do they see that the other gifts are important too, vital too? Are we working together? We should thank those who serve in this way, recognising their part in the body. Also, we should do them. 
those who might be gifted in the more honourable ways should also be serving in the less honourable ways. It shows that we think that those things are important. So packing away tables, cleaning in the kitchen, helping out where we're able in these key areas shows that these things matter. I love the way that our overseers model this. As an overseer, I know you'll regularly see cleaning tables, packing away chairs, vacuuming after a service, and he's put his hand up to serve in this way because it's important. It's vital to help the next congregation to make disciples of Jesus, undistracted by mess. And so he serves. It's great. What God longs for in the church is each person having the same concern one for another, that people with different gifts would serve in a way that builds up, not tears down, so that the body would work together as it was created and saved to do. And this important truth that Paul outlines of who we are as the church of God has one vital and important implication. And you can see it in verse 26. He says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If the eye can't see well, then the body can't do what it was created to do. If the foot refuses to do its job and play its part in the body, then the whole body hurts because the whole body's unified and joined together, whether the individual parts recognise that or not. Now, we all know what it's like when one part of the body suffers. If you've got back pain or if you've got a tummy bug or even a really sore pinky finger, the whole body's impacted, isn't it? You feel it. The whole body hurts. Paul has made that clear. Every part of the body has a part to play. We're all called to serve in so many different ways. We're called to live out who we are together as a church. So if we think we have no part to play, if we come to church to be served rather than serve, to take rather than give, then the whole body suffers. It can't live out what it was created to be, a unified body working together. God has gifted the church with a variety of gifts just as he determined. He did this so the church would work in diversity and unity to grow the church in number and maturity working for the common good, as it says in verse 7. To fail to use our gifts like this is a failure to grow. It leads to stagnation and discord and unfruitfulness in the church. The church's life then is stunted. It would be like the Corinthian church that Paul wrote to correct and to remind them of who they were saved and created and gifted to be. But have a look at the rest of verse 26, because it says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, but if one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it and the different parts of the body honour the other parts and the whole body is honoured and the whole body celebrates. We're meant to celebrate as we work together, doing different things, honouring each other, recognising the parts we play as together we work to grow God's kingdom, making disciples of Jesus. The key point we see in this chapter is that the church is a church that is meant to serve together, and so grow together. We are saved to serve, that's true, but more than that, we were saved to serve together. We each grow individually as we serve God with others, and God uses our work to grow and uh, build up his church in the lives of others. As more and more people are included in this body of Christ and more and more people are serving and gifted I can't thank God enough for the way I see God's people working together at OEC in so many different ways, as they honour each other, 
consciously working together in so many different ways to see the church grow, to make disciples and grow disciples. This picture of the church is something I've seen for the nearly 24 years I've been a part of God's work here. We had 27 years in school after school after school and then finally into this wonderful ministry centre. And all along, so many different people doing so many different things, working together to make disciples of Jesus. I just did a quick calculation. Over those 27 years in school halls, we've set up and packed up at least 275,000 chairs. And there's hundreds of people who have been involved in doing that making sure that God's word can be clearly proclaimed. Part of the DNA of OEC is many, many people serving in lots of different ways all together. Over the, over the next few weeks, we're going to hear stories of people who are serving in, as growth group leaders, as kids' ministries, all serving as part of the body of Christ for the common good. I want to share one story to kick things off. There's one couple I know who served in OEC in so many different ways, up front, in the background, in leadership, flipping sausages, I've seen them doing that, doing youth group on Friday nights, leading growth group for over 20 years, serving in the kitchen, who knows how many times, providing food after church, teaching kids' church, up the back doing AV, so many different roles done by just two people over 25 years. Praying, caring, loving. They'd hate me to tell you their name, so I won't. But as I think about them, my heart overflows with gratitude to God. As God has used them in obvious and not so obvious ways to play their part in growing God's kingdom here. Saving hundreds of people, growing thousands of people together with you. As I tell their story, I could tell you scores of others who faithfully serve to see God at work in God's people, taking God's message to Orange and beyond, because their story is intertwined with your story. You're serving. I want to finish with these words from verse 27. Have a look at it. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. One body, many parts, all of us working together, living out, being the body of Christ. What a wonderful thing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you for the gift of your spirit and the gifts you have given us as your people. Help us to work together.